everyone. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. In this show, we strive to open a dialogue of how life recovery and God's Word go hand in hand. Every week, our speaker will be going through the biblical process of life transformation. And now, another episode of the Midweek Podcast. Last week, I prefaced my message by letting you know uh, that the Lord had led me to walk through something, and uh, Pastor and I crossed paths, like two ships in night, we're going crazy, and we crossed paths. And I said, you land on what you're speaking in December? He goes, yeah, I'm so excited. I said, go oh, great, I am too for what I'm teaching on Wednesday nights. And he goes, I'm going through the genealogy. And I said, huh? I said, don't say anything, Jim. Don't say anything because I don't want to, like, mix stuff up. I don't want to say things before you say things. I don't want to like, take things from you, actually, because he's much smarter than I am. And that, so I'm, like, trying to figure out. So I said, don't say anything. So I sat in on his message on Sunday, and it was partially what I was going to teach on tonight. So I get to fast forward and say, listen, his message is on Facebook, so jump in and watch it, okay? Because he breaks down something that is one of the most beautiful, magnificent things that I see in Matthew 1 and in Luke 3. He walks through the genealogy and the, the separation, fulfillment, and the faithfulness of God in the smallest, minute details to testify to not only how true and holy he is, but how sovereign he is from generation to generation. That he both fulfilled the law and the genetics, the bloodline, to accomplish what he had promised Abraham through a bunch of messed up people. And pastor walks through it beautifully, but I want you guys to, instead of me jumping in the weeds and walking through it, go back and listen to it because it's going to impact what we talk about next week. It's going to impact when we break down Joseph and Mary. It's going to impact from the eyes of a, of a man named Joseph and the eyes and the heart of a woman named Mary what it was like to have Jesus. Because that's what everything's pointing to this month. Ah, the nativity, the birth of Christ, God coming to be with us, celebrating Emmanuel. And so today, we're going to focus on, on the, 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 the couple that caused the sever and the split in the genealogy differentiations of Matthew and Luke. We're going to talk about how inevitably both Mary and Joseph have the right to be able to have this child, right, named Jesus, and God still being fulfilled in the covenant that he made to Abraham and to David, that it will be through the house of David that the Messiah would inevitably come. I want to talk a little bit about David. I'm going to jump in and... Uh, we, we know him, all the study I've done of this man, everyone says the same thing right off the bat. People know two stories of David. One of them's about Goliath, and the other one's about Bathsheba, okay? Those two are the things that everyone knows. And so we know that David is a man after God's own heart, and he's also a mess-up in a lot of different ways. He was anointed and called to be the king of Israel when he was young. He was overlooked because he was a shepherd, and he was the smallest of his family. He was the youngest of his kids. His father, Jesse, he wasn't a big, big deal. But he was incredible at playing the harp, and he always, everywhere he went, 
He received the favor of the Lord in the eyes of the people that saw him, that heard him play, and even interacted with him. He was anointed as going to be the next king of Israel. And that caused the current king to have some problems. As Saul and his son, Jonathan, wrestled with the idea and the reality of a next person since Saul had fallen outside of the favor of the Lord and chosen to do things his own way out of selfishness and pride and sin in his life, he developed a hatred and a bitterness towards David, one who his son Jonathan became very close friends with, actually the epitome of besties. And as they began to wrestle with their relationship and and Jonathan choosing uh, to protect David, God using Jonathan to edify David and challenge David and protect David, inevitably David became king. One thing, because I'm, when, when I do this, I'm saying I'm going to read everything, every single thing I can about David and every single thing I can uh, pinned by David, and so I'm trying to get as much stuff. I did not realize how much of a warrior, I'm talking ruthless, this man was for the kingdom of Israel. And he's killing, and he's killing, and he's killing for the sake of the kingdom of Israel. And he's a very skilled warrior. And when I picture him, I always picture a little kid with a slingshot. I didn't picture uh, the one that had slain thousands and thousands, tens of thousands is what they chanted as he entered the city. There came a day, and most of you know it, where uh, he chose not to go and fight and he chose to stay home. He chose to stay home, and he chose not to partake in his, 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 uh, the responsibilities of being a king. And he allowed time and idle hands to lead him to a choice that had grave consequences. As he saw out and he saw a woman bathing, he, asked, he told her to come to him. And he, had no, and he slept with her. And she was married. She got pregnant. And then he inevitably murdered her husband. In that moment, he was, uh, he was corrected, we'll say. He was corrected by a prophet of the Lord. And uh, I'm going to read to you something he wrote after. So here's what I want to challenge you with. If you're listening to this and you're sitting there and you've got, you've got a sin problem, you've got a thing that you keep doing or a thing you've done that you think cannot be forgiven, I want you to hear his heart. Because this is a man that God saw and is known for being a man after God's own heart. And yet this is also a murderer and an adulterer and a mess up. For me, everything comes down to 
the posture that David has before the king of kings and the heart posture that he has towards sin. This is where we see beautiful reconciliation between him and the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I am brought forth in inequity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me, hear, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Mm. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. As David walks through and wrestles with the Lord, showing a, a heart of repentance and desiring God to clean him and purify him, makes a promise also to testify to others about what God has done in him. He's fully aware that he needs salvation from this moment. He's totally aware that, that, he, is, that he has sinned against God, that he needs to be saved that he needs to be forgiven. He's aware and senses the presence of the Holy Spirit that rested upon him. He knows it. He knows it. He's fully aware. And he asks for forgiveness. And he is forgiven. I think what's important to always recognize is, is when we live in sin... Sometimes we experience consequences in the now and in the physical, even though we are forgiven. There's always a cost. Always. And for David, that son that Bathsheba became pregnant with, he died. And David was torn apart. 
And then another son died. And then another son tried to, they were in war against each other. And they actually battled each other, and he died. And what we see is we see David walking through We see him walking through the consequences of his actions, but also receiving that which he requested for the Lord to forgive him. He stood in right standing with God, and he repented and was reconciled. He ended up marrying Bathsheba, and Bathsheba uh, also brought him forth two more sons, Uh, He had tons of sons, um, but two more. uh, And the ones I want to share about a little bit here are uh, Nathan and Solomon. You know about Solomon. Nathan, you may not know a lot about, but the reason why these two of all of them are important is because this is when the split occurs and we inevitably are led to Mary and Joseph. Following the lineage from Nathan and Solomon. And what was beautiful to me was the fact that God used Bathsheba to bring about the mother and father of Christ. If anyone would look in the mirror and call themselves disqualified, It'd probably be her. But God redeemed her. And through that, we see Mary and Joseph. What's tough about David is you see from generation to generation a struggle with lust. You see it. You see it throughout uh, people in positions of authority that sometimes inevitably, inevitably being their downfall. Something that is uh, so important that I just want to challenge you with, I want to challenge you with, is uh, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to recognize that as time goes on, we are, uh, as we are raised and as we raise children, we are constantly uh, impacting other people and impacting our children uh, and being impacted by our parents with a form of programming. We are shaping the worldview that which they see everything. We are being shaped by the people that we are around, the people that we are surrounded with. As grown-ups, we get a little more control of choosing who we choose to surround ourselves with. As children, you're stuck with mom and dad for a while. But, but programming takes place. And so we see patterns that are handed down from generation to generation to generation. Because these patterns of behavior or maybe coping mechanisms are what is just known in the household. And some can categorize this as honest generational curses. And some see patterns of behavior from generation to generation. Whether it be addiction to substances, 
a foundation of what it means to be married, the definition of marriage, of alcoholism, of abuse, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, or what it means to be a member of a church, what it means to be a friend. Everything is programmed. And unless something changes in the lineage, there's a high probability that nothing will change. As you look through and you look at the descendants and as you walk through, as you walk through uh, the curse that Pastor spoke on um, that's uh, referenced in uh, the lineage of um, Solomon, right? Uh, the lineage of Solomon, we can go to Jeremiah. I've got that one marked. Jeremiah here. And this is what it says. You ready? So the descendants and ancestry, it's in this bloodline. We get to see what a generational curse here. And this is what it says. Uh, Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, I'm going to mess up his name, Jim, but Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, that's who's being cursed. But in Haggai, what's so beautiful about this is in Haggai chapter 2, Verse 23, I think I have that one marked too. Let's just go to it. Oh, no, I don't have it marked. We're still going to go to it. On that day, okay, so verse 23, it says this. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. In this verse here, it talks about this person and, and, and the symbol there of, of royalty, the signet, the, the ring that is worn by a king, and, it, and, it, and it, what it does, a reversal of the curse that is placed in Jeremiah that inevitably impacts the bloodline of Joseph who is not genetically the father of Jesus, but he is the adopted dad. And as we look at generational curses and we look at lineage and we look at programming and look, we look at how David and, and Bathsheba and, and Solomon and we look at the examples that go from time to time and we look at the kings that reign even through the house of David. As we look through all of them, as you go through uh, kings and chronicles, the stories of these kings get shorter and shorter and shorter. They end up becoming two lines. This was the king and he, and he, and he did evil deeds in the eyes of the Lord and he was killed. This was the king, and he did evil things in the eyes of the Lord, and they were exiled to Babylon. This is the, and it gets shorter and shorter because of this issue that men in leadership had by trying, staying true to the Lord that put them there. And then we get a taste in Haggai of the promise to come and the fulfillment through the birth of Christ 
that should be good news to every single one of us. Because here's the game changer for us on this side of the manger. Jesus Christ changed the game. And what was passed down from generation to generation, you have the authority by the power of Jesus Christ to stop with you. Because of the price that he paid and overcoming death itself and the Holy Spirit that now you walk empowered by, there is hope. And God can take something like an adulterous, murdering man who ends up marrying that woman and having more children, and he can redeem that just like he can redeem all the stuff that you've had to endure and maybe even some of the mistakes that you've made yourself. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 8, and I'm just going to read it to you. This one verse is important to understand because then I think it helps you accept the reality that when you believe in Christ, it changes everything. Therefore, there, are, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We go through, and, and Jim threw up the slide. There's like 37 begats, and beget, 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 beget. And we're all talking about these things, these things, the byproduct, the byproduct, the byproduct. But, but the question that you should have is, are you begotten from the Spirit? Have you been born again? John 3. That conversation with Nicodemus in night. Have you been born again? Could they add you to the list? Because what happens is when you have been, there is now no longer, there is no condemnation. And it doesn't matter what your dad did. It doesn't matter what your mom did. It doesn't matter what your grandparents did. It doesn't, none of that stuff matters. Because if you are in Christ, you are what he prayed he wanted to be in Psalm 51. You are, you are pure because of the price that Christ paid. It doesn't matter if you've been picking up that bottle for 30 years, every single day of your life. You have the opportunity to walk healed and forgiven. It's a process, but it cannot start without you being begotten by the Spirit. In Romans chapter 6, I will just read this because I believe that this is just going to minister to your hearts. Because as we look at the genealogy, the ancestry, the people, and just a summary of pretty much the entire Bible shoved into those lists, you know that, right, because we're working through that, um, that, that, that these people, some of you I know I can say this about, some of you I can't, but they're actually worse than you. These hooligans, these mess-ups, 
They're more disqualified than a lot of you. Maybe not me, but listen. What I'm getting at here is that there's, there's hope, but the hope comes from Christ. And if you actually understand who he is, what he did, and, and, and how it is available for you, nothing is going to impact your moments today. You can have quick fixes. You can run from the problems. But truth will inevitably win. So why not just receive it right now? Chapter 6, verse 1. And here's, what, here's what's so cool. Okay, wait. <laughs> okay, so you accept it. There's no condemnation, those that are in Christ. Here's the issue that some people have. Well, if I'm not condemned, then, then I'm seen as in right standing with God. So what does it matter today what I choose to do or not to do? If I've accepted Jesus Christ, I'm forgiven. Past, present, future sins. What's one more day doing the thing I know I shouldn't do? What's one more day acting in a way that I know I shouldn't act? I mean, I've been doing it my whole life. What's one more day choosing to be lazy when I know I've been called to go? What's one more day? What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And I yelled yelled this one, so just be careful. May it never be! How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him? Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, He's never going to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, baptism is the most beautiful symbol of saying, I once lived one way. I once had one destination. But as Christ died, so I do too. And you're buried, and you go under the water. And when you come back up, you are resurrected. It is a symbol of what's happened. 
that the old you died just as Christ died. And someone that is dead is also dead to sin. I don't know how many people are actually sinning in the cemetery right now. No, I do know. None. None. You can't do it. You're dead. And so if you've died with Christ, you too have died to sin. And just as he lives, so do you. What happens is we get in this mentality that we justify sin, we accept his grace, and we just try to survive. Here's my challenge. Pray about that. Pray about it. Submit that to the Lord. And pray as David prayed that he would search your heart and that he would cleanse us. And that we too would grow to hate sin as he does. And that we too would recognize the power of his death and the life that he brings. And that we too would recognize the authority that we have by that payment to end the generation, generational curses with ours. That we get to define who we surround ourselves with. And we get to define how our children are programmed. We are the ones that have been stewarded the church. We are the ones that have been stewarded the gospel. We are fulfilled promises of Abraham, but it doesn't stop with us. It shouldn't. And it's time to wake up. And it's time to see that nativity scene for what it really was. And it's time to feel the hope that comes with this season because all the messed up uncles and aunts and grandparents that that kid had. Because I don't care where you're at when you walked in here. He's glad you're here. And I believe he has something he wanted to share with you. What did Jerry say? So what are you going to do about it? I suggest do business with him. Father, thank you. God, thank you for giving us a taste of David's heart, giving us an idea of what he was going through, God. Thank you for the grace that you have. Thank you for the examples that you've shown us through your word of people that we can really relate with, of problems that we can really relate with, of struggles that none of us, honestly, all of us can't avoid. It's just, it is reality, it's humanity. It is family, it is difficult, and it is messy. But let us not forget what the pastor said. Let's not forget what you taught us. That while, while even when you zoom in close, 
You are accurate and you are true. And when you zoom out far, you are perfect and you are sovereign with every detail, with every lineage, with every parent and every child. God, even by our names themselves, Lord, you know us and you've pursued us. Father, for those that have not dealt with generational sin, Lord, I pray tonight that they begin to. That they repent and seek forgiveness and they embrace the power that you give. Lord, let them, sur let them surround themselves with people that can hold them accountable, that can encourage them, that can affirm them. They can speak your truth into them and over them. Father, for those of us that just need to repent, for those of us that just need to come to you and just say, God, we've sinned in front of you. We've sinned before you. We've done wrong in your eyes. Forgive us. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Allow me not to wander away from your presence. Allow me the privilege to testify of my brokenness to others so that you may receive glory. Heal me. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, I just want to do this real quick, just real quick. If you realized tonight that you need to begin an actual relationship with Christ, if you need to surrender and be saved, and then with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just want you just to just lift your hand up and then put it back down for me. Just lift it up and put it down, okay? I see you. Okay, thanks. Yes, I see you. Now, if all of y'all's heads are bowed, everyone's heads are bowed, if you just raise your hand and put it down, just meet eyes with me real quick. You don't have to move much. Just meet eyes with me. I'm so excited for you. Where are you? I believe that, God, you're about to begin something that is going to break off things. And you are going to walk in freedom. Are you going to a group after this? Okay. Are you going to a group after this? Okay. Tell them. I challenge you, tell them. Say, hey, don't judge me. This is what I got going on. I'm ready to receive him. And I'm ready to begin that relationship with him. And your leader is going to show you what that means. And your, your group is going to walk you through it and celebrate with you. Because that's where healing begins. And then you know what? You should probably say, any of you want to do it with me? God, you are so good. You are amazing. And you are gentle. And you are close. And we thank you. Father, thank you 
for what you teach. Thank you for how you teach. Thank you for how you forgive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Midweek Podcast here at Temple Church. If something spoke to your heart today, we'd love to hear from you and walk alongside you. You can reach us at temple at temple.church or you can send us a text message at 252-521-2093. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love it if you rate and review the show and share it with your friends. That helps us to get the word out. Again, you can join us weekly for more episodes on how God can transform us and use us for His kingdom. We'll see you next time.